welcome to People, Places, Planet Pod, the official podcast of the Environmental Law Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization working to ensure a healthy environment, prosperous economies, and vibrant communities founded on the rule of law. I'm ELI Senior Attorney Jim McElfish. Today, we'll be talking about the Council on Environmental Quality's proposal to rewrite the NEPA regulations that govern how environmental impact assessment is done in the United States. On January 10th, the CEQ published in the Federal Register a proposal for a comprehensive rewrite of the NEPA regulations that govern how federal agencies identify, analyze, and mitigate for the anticipated environmental impacts of proposed major federal actions. Comments on the proposal are due by March 10th. This proposal should be of significant interest to all environmental lawyers and practitioners as it would make important changes to the regulations that have substantially governed NEPA's obligations since their adoption in 1978. The CEQ has proposed to repeal, reorganize, and replace the entire set of NEPA regulations, and if adopted, the regulations will govern all of NEPA practice across the federal government. Joining us today to help us understand the proposal is Nick Yost, one of the most experienced NEPA lawyers in the nation. Nick's legal career began in California, where he was instrumental in launching California's Environmental Impact Assessment Law, CEQA, In addition to his decades in private practice, much of it at Denton's as leader of the environment and natural resource practice there, Nick also served as a public interest lawyer. As general counsel of CEQ in the late 1970s, Nick was the primary drafter and developer of CEQ's NEPA regulations, which have governed NEPA practice for the last 40 years. Welcome, Nick. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Nick, I'd like to begin uh, broadly. As as you look at this 47-page proposal, what do you find most surprising about the proposal? Well, I was surprised and, and indeed startled by the sheer magnitude of the proposal. CEQ could have uh, just dealt with issues on which there's a certain amount of consensus and uh, clean things up, uh, addressing the issue of uh, a difficult issue, admittedly, but the issue of uh, whether NEPA takes uh, too long, uh, whether there should be more guidance on environmental assessments, and whether there should be expanded opportunities for Native Americans to uh, comment. But instead of going where there is uh, a good degree of consensus, there's this massive rewrite, including a panoply of ideological divisive proposals. A number of the people that have uh, initially reviewed the regulations have noticed that CEQ has proposed to eliminate consideration of cumulative impacts uh, from NEPA analysis. Uh, The the word is, in fact, removed uh, everywhere it appears in the regulations, except for a statement that analysis of cumulative impacts is not required. How do you think this will affect uh, NEPA practice uh, if it's adopted? Uh, 
massively. Uh, this was an extraordinary and unneeded proposal. Cumulative impacts are involved both in the determination whether to prepare an EIS and in the content of an EIS. Um, just by way of uh, 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 examples, um, gr drilling one natural gas well uh, may have manageable impacts. But if it's a precedent for 50 wells, well, that's something else that is, uh, involves cumulative impacts, which uh, uh, one would want to look at in order accurately to carry out the congressional intent of looking at, uh, at the effects. Um, the requirement, specific requirement to adopt uh, a cumulative impact analysis goes back to the very first guidance that CEQ published just months after NEPA's uh, uh, enactment. And indeed, a few years later in the Kleppe case, the United States Supreme Court uh, uh, specifically said that cumulative impacts are required to be studied. So it seems to me that this uh, very draconian statement on CEQ's part uh, is going to be uh, uh, very vulnerable to a legal challenge. So similarly, Nick, the CEQ also removed the references to indirect impacts and indirect uh, effects or impacts, I think, have included things like uh, induced development or changes that are secondary to the initial or direct impacts of the proposal. Do, do you think the uh, deletion of indirect effects or indirect impacts uh, has a similar uh, effect to your analysis of the cumulative uh, treatment or, or is something different going on there? Well, there, there is overlap, as you suggest, between uh, the two. CEQ handles indirect somewhat differently. It doesn't have, as it does with cumulative, a direct repeal of uh, an existing uh, obligation. But instead, it just says study effects without breaking out effects. And implicit in that is... Uh, uh, not breaking out the current requirement to look at indirect uh, uh, effects. Let me just give an example of, uh, of how indirect effects come up in, uh, uh, in a common ki uh, kind of case. A highway is being built. There are immediate effects, which are there's noise and there's dust from constructing the highway. But there are indirect effects on at least a couple of levels of uh, first, uh, the highway is going to be used by cars. Cars are going to emit uh, air pollution. Uh, they're going to cause noise and uh, so on. Those are indirect effects, which are indeed uh, more apt to be important than the initial transitory construction uh, effects. And indeed, uh, the highway, depending on where it is, may be uh, opening up uh, a new geographic area to development. Now, that may be a good thing. It may be the intention, but uh, it also may not be. And uh, it's the sort of thing which, uh, uh, which uh, um, ought, to be, uh, um, ought to be looked at. I, I appreciate the, uh, the distinction and the uh, illustration, Nick. I think that's very helpful. Um, the, the proposal also in talking about effects, 
says that uh, agencies uh, need not or possibly cannot consider effects that they lack ability to prevent. Um, do, you, do you think this is a change? And if it is, do you think it's consistent with the statute? Uh, I don't think it's consistent with the statute. This is, you know, it is somewhat of, uh, of uh, a, a gray area uh, because of the uh, issue of, you know, what an agency can uh, uh, can directly do. But in many cases, there are effects not within the direct jurisdiction of uh, the permitting agency, which have. Uh, great significance. Let me just give an example. The Corps of Engineers uh, may be permitting or is asked to permit a coal export plant uh, where uh, U.S. coal will be uh, taken and exported to uh, uh, another country. If you take the view which CEQ would do under these regulations that you can't look at the effects of the coal uh, you're going to exclude looking at climate change. Climate change is uh, both a direct effect and a cumulative effect uh, of enormous significance. In other words, the whole purpose of the uh, export facility is um, to uh, uh, export coal, which will be burned, which will contribute to climate change. And to ignore that effect because the Corps of Engineers doesn't have explicit jurisdiction over uh, uh, over uh, the burning of the of the uh, coal, even though it effectuates the ability to burn the coal, uh, would simply be mistaken. Let me leave that uh, there and turn to uh, another issue, which is that of the programmatic environmental impact statement and and indeed the programmatic environmental assessment, which. You and I have seen in a number of instances. The proposed rule says that programmatic statements may be prepared, but it deletes the proviso that they are sometimes required. And um, I'm wondering if this is a meaningful or important uh, change or area of attention in your view. Well, first, programmatic uh, EISs are themselves a good thing. It's a uh, a means of dealing with uh, an issue which came up early in NEPA's application and uh, was addressed by the Supreme Court in the uh, Kleppe case just a few years after NEPA was uh, uh, adopted. Uh, Just by way of example, if you have uh, uh, one uh, solar generating facility in a given area, you can study that uh, in, a, in a straightforward EIS. If you have eight uh, solar generating facilities, uh, you can study each of them, but sometimes it makes sense to uh, look at the whole idea of the whole proposal of uh, eight different Uh, solar generating facilities in the vicinity and uh, address the generic issues, the issues common to all of them, so that when each one uh, comes up for uh, approval, uh, you don't have to uh, re-examine the 
basic questions of the desirability of solar and so on, but can so-called tier that from the programmatic EIS. So programmatic EISs are usually welcomed by all segments of, uh, of uh, society. Uh, it enables you to look at overall effects and uh, then focus on individual site-specific projects. Nick, I, I want to turn to a, a couple of other issues that uh, are, are important in NEPA practice. One, of course, is uh, uh, the alternatives, which the current regulations describe as the heart of the environmental impact statement. And, and I note that the uh, heart language is uh, removed from the proposal. Um, CEQ has also uh, proposed to define uh, the term reasonable range of alternatives, and I'm wondering if there are any changes that our listeners should be aware of as they look at the treatment of alternatives in the proposal. Well, there are a couple of implications in what you have just uh, uh, just uh, uh, pointed at. Um, Imagine, for instance, by way of an example, an agency that has jurisdiction over nuclear power plants. Let's assume that in a given area, there's a need for uh, power generation, um, that, you know, conservation and so on uh, is, is insufficient. There's need for uh, uh, power generation. But if it only looks at nuclear, it's not looking at the range of alternatives. Today, we would want somebody approving a power plant to say, hey, how about studying wind? How about studying solar and um, uh, distributed generation? Uh, there's a range of alternatives that a reasonable person uh, looking at a reasonable range of uh, uh, alternatives would want to, uh, um, uh, would want to, to look at. And then also bear in mind that uh, an EIS is not just prepared for the decision maker. It's prepared for the public. And there's an ultimate decision maker, which is the Congress. Uh, the Congress may be dissatisfied with the range of alternatives and the, and, uh, the uh, uh, you know, the Congress may step in. So you have to put out the range of alternatives such that Congress will have something that uh, it can uh, uh, examine should it uh, choose to look at. Then getting into the number of alternatives, that really depends on the situation. Not on, You can't have an arbitrary limit on the number of uh, uh, alternatives. The test, according to the Supreme Court and CEQ in the past, has been a reasonable number of uh, alternatives. Um, if, for instance, uh, new housing is needed on a military base and their alternatives are 200 uh, units, 300 units, 400 units, uh, you don't have to look at 204 and 205. You have the 200 to 400, and as long as the uh, alternative chosen is bracketed by what has been considered, uh, that is... Uh, uh, that is satisfactory. That's sort of a reasonable way of uh, doing things. But sometimes there are just more alternatives out there that should be looked at. Power generation, uh, uh, 
you know, as a, an example, with conservation, with solar, with wind, with nuclear, all possibilities that at least should be considered. It, it sounds like, uh, Nick, that you might have some concern if CQ were to specify or limit the number of alternatives as they suggest or invite consideration of in the preamble. Uh, that that's correct. I uh, I think that is just specific to the particular project or proposal or plan that is uh, the subject of an environmental impact statement. And sometimes it's going to be a very small number. Sometimes it'll be a considerably larger number. Thanks. Well, tur turning to a different aspect of the proposal. Um, CEQ has proposed to uh, delete the provision in 1500.2, the policy section of the regulations that set forth what uh, this uh, enterprise is about, uh, indicating its view that this is an unnecessary or redundant section. Um, you know, given that you were one of the people that uh, were responsible for putting that section in place uh, in the regulations we have now, what what do you think of that view? It is uh, an unfortunate uh, misemphasis. I think you have to step back and look at the basic structure of NEPA. Uh, there are two operative major sections in NEPA, 101, which states the National Environmental Policy, i.e. that which uh, gave its name to the act itself. Then 102, which gives uh, the quote, and this is a term that members of Congress used and the Supreme Court has used in uh, describing the act. It has a set of quote, action forcing devices, i.e. to make sure that particular decisions are forced to comply with the policy of section 101. Section 102, one in parentheses, makes that, makes that uh, uh, connection. Uh, it says that uh, the, all the actions taken under 102 shall uh, be in accord with the policies of 101. So it's there in the statute but unemphasized. We emphasized it in the regulations with a, a section 1500.2a, uh, uh, which uh, uh, just geared the actions taken to uh, the policy um, in much the same way that the statute does, but explicitly in the regulations. And they have chosen to delete that. Uh, I think that's unfortunate, but since it's in the statute, it's not... Uh, you know, it's not a complete game changer. Nick, I, I'm also uh, intrigued by a, a number of uh, additional uh, innovations in the proposal. Uh, CEQ has proposed that in a statement of purpose and need uh, for a uh, federal action and, and its alternatives that the um, uh, purpose and need has to meet the goals of the private applicant, if there is one, as well as the federal agencies. Is this a significant change, or does this reflect uh, current practice? Uh, it is a significant difference in emphasis. 
you know, under the statute, uh, the goals have to be linked to the policy, to uh, the environmental policy, and it's the federal agency's goal uh, that uh, is determinative, not a private practitioner. Um, But you have to use a certain amount of good sense here. Uh, If somebody proposes, say, to build a power plant and uh, an alternative is uh, put out of uh, uh, no have a campground instead because that's uh, uh, less environmentally harmful. That may be true, uh, but it's just sort of out of the ballpark. A reasonable person uh, uh, wouldn't do that. But you take another example. Somebody wants to build a shopping center and uh, they own certain land. The area you know, will financially support one shopping center, not two. Uh, they want to build their land, however, has a wetland uh, on it. It has a uh, forest of endangered species, um, all of which would be uh, uh, destroyed. But nearby, there's another site which presents no, none of these environmental problems. NEPA can be used, action forcing, to entice the applicant to move to the uh, uh, site which is not environmentally harmful. Uh, And I've seen this happen on multiple times uh, before. Or it may lead to another applicant proposing the shopping center in the non-sensitive location. So NEPA can be action forcing in a way which may not be the preferred way of the initial applicant. Nick, I want to move to uh, another area that that looks particularly um, new, perhaps unexpected even. The the proposal creates a new section that would appear in both draft and final environmental impact statements in which an agency must summarize the alternatives information and analysis submitted by public commenters and it adds an additional comment or objection period uh, after the final EIS related to the adequacy of the agency's uh, summary of, of those. At, at the same time, it provides a, an agency at the very end of the process will self-certify in the record of decision that it has adequately considered all of those submitted alternatives, information, and analysis, and that upon certification, that becomes a conclusive presumption, uh, presumably conclusively uh, binding on federal courts or other reviewers uh, looking at the adequacy of consideration. Um, what do you make of, of both the procedural addition of this section, the additional comment period, and the conclusive presumption? Uh- Not much. I mean, the reason that NEPA was enacted in the first place is that uh, federal agencies, when they were making their decisions through the 50s and 60s, were saying, oh, we considered the environment, uh, uh, nothing more is needed, which is why there was a lot of federal agency resistance to the enactment of, uh, of NEPA. Congress didn't agree and Congress imposed the obligations of NEPA. Uh, and the obligations of NEPA 
provide for uh, the uh, uh, consideration with public input, with public notice and comment on uh, of the a, a proposal, a project that's uh, uh, you know that somebody wants to do, and it uh, leads uh, then to judicial review to uh, enforce it. For an agency to, in effect, say, well, these are the effects, these are uh, the uh, alternatives, and then, in effect, seal that off from judicial review by um, making it a conclusive presumption uh, is just the wrong thing. It undercuts NEPA in a very basic kind of way. What, what about the argument that agencies have had 50 years of experience uh, doing this? Uh, they have professional staffs that know how to do this. Um, you know, are they, are they entitled to some kind of presumption which is different from what they might have been entitled to back in 1971? Well, I, that's, that's the first thing. I mean, all federal agencies are inclined uh, or are entitled to uh, uh, you know a presumption that they followed the law, et cetera, et cetera. But NEPA and the Supreme Court has described it as essentially procedural, has a series of procedural action forcing items to ensure that in fact uh, matters are uh, considered in the way that they're supposed to be uh, uh, considered. And uh, you know it's important always to uh, bear that in mind, that the action-forcing devices are uh, there to ensure that, uh, uh, that the law is followed. Uh, judges understand procedure. They understand that if uh, uh, a law says you got to have an environmental impact statement before you can take the action, uh, they, didn't take the, uh, they didn't prepare the EIS, a judge feels very comfortable in saying, well, you got to do it before you take the action. And then went on to another generation of uh, EIS and NEPA law in which uh, judges said, and, you know, you have to do it right. You can't just uh, say we've done it. Uh, it has to be a solid, defensible, scientifically sound uh, uh, analysis. Okay. Um I, I think when we anticipated uh, talking about a CEQ rewrite uh, or revision of the NEPA regulations, we thought we would be talking about uh, uh, page limits, uh, mandatory time limits, and the like. And the proposal does create uh, mandatory page limits and, uh, and presumptive mandatory time limits for EAs and EISs. Um, do you think this uh, adds to current practice? And, and what, what do you make of that portion of the proposal? I am not as disturbed by that as some folks are. Uh, right now, the existing regulations have page limits, which relatively few agencies follow. CEQ is now attempting another way of uh, dealing with that by having uh, a presumptive two-year time limit. Uh, again, I would have preferred something more flexible than uh, a uniform one-size-fits-all time limit, but uh, I think they're moving in the right 
direction. I think it's in the interest of everybody, not just an applicant, to have uh, a time limit, but it's in the interest of uh, uh, environmentalists, and that includes myself, uh, to remove the causes of people attacking NEPA in a basic sort of way. If we had time limits that worked better now, I don't think uh, the uh, the current administration would have uh, had this whole series of of proposals. Nick, as we uh, wrap up this uh, episode of the podcast, I I wonder uh, if you could um, speculate or let us know what you anticipate for these rules and for NEPA practice generally over the next several years uh, if the proposal becomes final. And that, of course, is a very good question. Uh, NEPA has now existed for over 50 years. And the NEPA regulations, which are what are proposed to be changed, they haven't proposed changes to NEPA. Uh, The NEPA regulations have existed for over 40 years. So there's now been half a century of judicial interpretation of NEPA and almost half a century of judicial interpretation of the NEPA regulations. With these massive changes, which are now proposed, I see a massive increase in litigation to interpret all the new rules. Uh, we, have a, we have settled case law, and this is going to unsettle it. Uh, the uh, very magnitude of the changes proposed ensures the magnitude of the court challenges and the delays which that entails. So I see the whole effort for this massive change as self-defeating. Nick, thanks uh, very much for uh, guiding us through uh, these changes. Uh, We'll obviously be watching closely to see what happens uh, during the comment period and uh, SCEQ makes its decision. Uh, Thanks again uh, to all of our listeners for joining the People, Places, Planet podcast at ELI. Thank you for tuning in to People, Places, Planet pod, brought to you by the Environmental Law Institute. We would like to hear from you. So please send us your questions, comments, and ideas to podcast at ELI.org. And if you're interested in learning more about our work, attending one of our events, reading our publications, or becoming a member, please visit our website at www.eli.org.